This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Salah. It's Kate Cancelo off. Brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Absolutely sensational. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. That's right. You're tuning to Just for Kicks with me, Hanif Baharudin, sitting in for Cam Raslan, who's away on international duty, literally. He's away right now. Um, joining me are our three pundits, Bob Holmes. Welcome to the show, Bob. Hi, everybody. Astran Rosin. Hi, guys. It's good to be back. And there's Scott Hill. Still celebrating the Derby victory, although Everton have had a lot of bad news this week. All right. We have a lot of things to go through today. Let's start with the UEFA Champions League Group F. Newcastle 0, Borussia Dortmund 1. Newcastle was brought down to reality after getting decent results in the Champions League, you would think. Uh, but I would like to also talk about Sandro Tonali. He's been banned for 10 months by the Italian Football Federation for breaching betting rules. Um, how big of a blow is this for Newcastle? Uh, pretty, pretty big blow, I would say. Um, I mean, he hadn't been there that long, but he'd made a big impression. And... Uh, He's going to be out for the rest of the season, possibly even the beginning of, of the following season of 10 months. So uh, they're looking for a replacement already, and they don't have that deep a squad. They did strengthen in the transfer window, but uh, they're going about things very gradually. And now with the injuries incurred uh, against Dortmund, uh, Isak and Murphy both look as if they're going to be out for more than a couple of games. Uh, that combined with Tonali leaves them a little bit thin. Um, they were a bit unlucky. I mean, they hit the woodwork twice. Uh, you know, if, if we wouldn't be talking quite like this if, if they'd gone in, you know. It's always a bit like that. But they weren't great. And I think they, with the injuries as well, it does highlight that they're not there yet. I mean, it, it seems a little bit ironic that this is a day after Eddie Howe didn't rule out the possibility of them winning the Champions League. You should never never go that close when you're not that good. I mean, he, it was wheedled out of him, but he didn't rule it out. And this is what happens. The very next day brought crashing back to earth. So a big lesson for Newcastle. Mm, yeah. Uh, Ashran, do you think that uh, Newcastle performed poorly on the night? Yeah, I would think so. Uh, probably as Bob mentioned, the this is the curse of the coach picking up the team too quick, right? Some of these young coaches, I think, should learn from these experienced coaches who never big up their team, even though they're in the quarterfinals, semifinals sometimes. But anyway, back to Newcastle against Borussia Dortmund. Obviously, they faced Borussia Dortmund both home and away, back to back. And these were probably, if they were to go through the groups, to the group stages, these were the games that they were expected to win, eh? Because Dortmund, they're not really flying on all cylinders in the Bundesliga either. So it was uh, three points wasted, of course. And uh, the injuries, as Bob mentioned, to some key players added to the fact that Tonali is, is out uh, will cause a bit of a ripple to uh, Newcastle. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, it, it's for all of us to see how they cope in the Premier League in this next coming weeks. Mm. Um, that's going back to Tonali um, what can football do to help curb gambling addiction among uh, players uh, I, it's not fair to call it an addiction uh, a couple of players have been uh, been caught out but um, the relationship between football and gambling is something that is is very troubling um, English Premier League is is covered 
with sponsorship for gambling sites. And uh, everywhere you go, you, you, I'm, I'm still an old-fashioned sort. I still read the newspapers. And even the headlines are going, so-and-so is three to one to score in such and such a match. The association, the connection between gambling, uh, so external people gambling, and the game itself has, has troubled me for a long time. Uh, the, 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 obviously, in Southeast Asia, in Malaysia, there's no, there's no gambling allowed um, and, and there's no alcohol uh, associated to it. Uh, in the West, it's very, very different. Gambling is such a part of the culture and it's gone under the radar. Um, and it's not so much the players. The players have got to set an example. So this, in many ways, this is good. This, this is highlights it. But don't take gamblers as sponsors. That would be number one. Uh, try and reduce that um, gambling association with the sport. It ain't going to happen because there's too much money involved and it's money and it's a business sport. But it is, it is a real problem that football, uh, English Premier League, um, uh, high amongst that, goes so far to promote it. So it, I don't think this is a Tonali issue. I think this is a, um, a betting site issue and its association with football. It, it's terribly worrying. Yeah, but Des, if you don't mind, at the same time, in Malaysia, as you mentioned it, it's, I mean, gambling is not allowed, but it's been part of the subculture. Uh, again, one of the reasons why Malaysia went through the doldrums once upon a time was because of the corruption scandal that occurred in the early 90s. You know? So how can, again, if you totally ban gambling outright in Europe, they will, it will probably create a void that then the subcultures will come in, which is much, much more difficult to to administer or to control. So but perhaps what massive, control? It's, it's a massive association at the moment. Was it nine or 10 of the, the, the Premier League clubs are sponsored by gambling sites? If one is, okay, maybe, okay, that's interesting. Oh yeah, gambling is a part of what, what goes on. But it's a huge part of what goes on. It's how they drive many, many of their revenues. It's how most of us get our data for these, this um, program. When we go in, we go into the soccerway sites. We go into the flash score sites. They are gambling sites. They are there to persuade people to part their money. I don't have an answer on, on how to do it. I just think it is terribly, terribly um, uh, troublesome that that is you. going on. It needs to be controlled. I think we need to control it. I don't know how. I, yeah. um, I, I don't know in what way. Um, banning it, you can't. But, um, well, we do here. <laughs> it's a bit like the gun law in America, isn't it? I mean... You, you can't uh, get rid of guns entirely, but you don't make them so readily available. Surely that will have some impact. And having it on your shirt, as Ivan Tony did, he bet on the with the company that uh, Brentford uh, have as sponsors. I mean, uh, it was so easy for him. Um, you know, just make it a bit harder. I don't think you can eradicate it from Western culture altogether, but just make it a bit harder. Mm, all right, let's move on to the other group match in Group F. PSG 3 is Milan nil. Uh, PSG was pretty clinical against Milan with uh, Mbappe scoring his 13 goal in 13 games. Uh, but I want to talk about the 17-year-old Warren Zaire-Emery. Uh, what do we know about him, Asran? Warren Zaire-Emery. Obviously, this is the talent that's coming out that is really well spoken of by, I think, the coach himself, uh, Luis Enrique. Uh, Luis Enrique was saying something like, look, he might be 17, but he appears as a 34-year-old and he plays like a 34-year-old with that experience or, or, or pizzazz about him. So again, what we saw of the game, again, this is definitely one of the talents of the world game now. To be, truth be told, I do not know much about Warren Zaire Emery because 
when it comes to PSG, obviously they're stacked with stars and a lot of focus, especially in the years gone by, was with the Messi's and the Neymar's and the uh, Mbappe, of course. But now we see this, especially this year, uh, we see more and more of this uh, Warren Zaya Emery. Um, again, uh, what we know is he's well spoken about within the circles of uh, the PSG hierarchy. Uh, it's too early to say, uh, obviously, but good things. I mean, uh, the performance against Milan was definitely uh, one to watch. He really he controlled the midfield and against experienced personnel on the other side, uh, really one to watch. All right. Okay, so I'm gonna, just going to breeze through a few more results, a few more interesting results uh, from the UEFA Champions League. Um, Celtic 2, Atletico Madrid 2, uh, Braga 1, Real Madrid 2, um, Benfica nil, Real Sociedad 1. And Real Sociedad is surprisingly topping Group D at the moment. Is that a surprise to you guys? Considering that the group contains Inter, Salzburg and also Benfica. It is, actually. Um, it was uh, Xavi Alonso that um, built up Real Sociedad, wasn't it? Um, but he's no longer there, so I don't know who's getting the credit now. Um, but it, it's encouraging to see that there are a few other clubs at the top of these groups um, rather than the usual suspects. Um, I'm thinking of uh, even Ajax here. We'll probably come to them later. But, you know, you um, you see Brighton doing well. Brighton comfortably beating Ajax. Real Sociedad up there. Uh this this is not a bad thing, actually. We get, you know, we've been brainwashed into thinking that it's just the same old clubs every year, uh, all the time. But it's not. It's not entirely, is it? You've got these glimmers of hope coming through, and uh, Real Sociedad is is one of them. Uh, they've been quiet for a while, but uh, you know, it's it's not all Barcelona, Real Madrid in Spain. That's uh, that's an encouraging thing. Nor is it. AC Milan in in Italy because they they look pretty poor, didn't they? So you know the the pendulum is swinging. I think that is good. And going into this new uh, format next season in the Champions League, we're going to need all the help we can get in terms of the so-called lesser clubs doing well. So this is a, an encouraging sign. Okay, all right. Let's take a short break. Coming up next, actions from the UEFA Europa League and also the Conference League. This is Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. That's right. You're tuning into Just for Kicks with me, Hanif Baharudin, and our pundits, Bob, Des, and Ashran. And we're going to head straight to the Europa League and into Group E, Liverpool 5 to lose 1. Uh, second string Liverpool side performed pretty well against the French Cup winners. Uh, they're now top in Group E and will most likely qualify to the knockout rounds. Um, Des, do you think Liverpool will be looking to win this trophy while also challenging for the Premier League title? Because they look good in the Premier League as well. Yeah, um, Jurgen Klopp, uh, as you said, he he made an awful lot of changes. A lot of kids coming through. Luke Chambers played at left back and then Scanlon came on to replace him. McConnell got a, a start. So the... Uh, there was Liverpool's renaissance is based upon youth. Gravenbach uh, was terrific yesterday. Nunes missed the most glaring open goal you've ever seen and scored a beauty himself. Uh, Jurgen Klopp has changed Liverpool. He had, uh, the, the age of the Liverpool team is now very, very young. Uh, Curtis Jones, 21. Harvey Elliott, 19. Gravenbach is only 22 or 23. Uh, I spoke about this at the start of the season. There is a depth and there's a change and there's a, an invigoration about Liverpool. And although Toulouse uh, weren't the, the toughest of opposition, their problem was they tried to play football at Anfield and got done. It, it was a good performance by Liverpool. I just need to bring this uh, a local thing, though. Um, 
there was a, a, a terrific ovation for Bill Kenwright, the Everton chairman, be, before the game. And there's a real affiliation between Liverpool and Everton. We obviously don't want Everton to, to win anything, but we certainly don't want them to struggle as they have been. And it's been a horrible week for Everton and for Bill Kenwright to uh, to die this week. Um, he got a, a fabulous tribute before the match. And uh, we need to remember that football is meant to be about people. And Bill Kenwright was uh, one of the one of the good ones at, at Everton, even though he got a lot of stick in the last few years. And uh, he got um, a fine ovation from the people of Liverpool yesterday. And I want to note that he he was he was great for Everton. In uh, the, he was he was Mr. Everton. And um, yeah, well, sadly he's gone. Yeah, we're going to speak a bit more about him perhaps later. Uh, but let's move on to Europa League Group B, Brighton 2 AX Neil. Uh, it's Brighton's first ever European win at the time of asking. Uh, should they do a West Ham bomb and focus on performing well in Europe? Because I think if you think about it and based on their performances so far, they have been struggling to juggle between, I guess, Europe and also the, the league, right? Uh, yes. Um, I, but I think they're enjoying this actually enjoying being in Europe. I mean, this is dreamland for the Brighton fans. Um, and if they don't uh, don't get into the top six or seven next season, it won't be a disaster for them. Uh, this is, uh, you, you just can't put a price on this this kind of experience. I mean, we, you tend to denigrate the, um, the Europa League. I know uh, your predecessor, uh, Hanif, uh, certainly had a low opinion of it. Um, but... Uh, it, it, it's wonderful for, for clubs like Brighton. Talking about Brighton, the opponents of Brighton, though, I think that's a tragedy that's happening in Ajax at this point of time. Second yes. bottom in the Eredivisie. They've just sacked their coach. And we know that this season itself, two of their games have been postponed. One due to crowd trouble. So a lot of things happening behind the scenes. They haven't got the right players on the spot. So we do not want to see a giant like Ajax really struggling because Ajax has provided a lot of greats in the football world. So we hope that they'll be able to overcome this, but at this point of time, it looks really dire for them. But this is one of the points of uh, Ajax have been a selling club now. Uh, they, they they had a team that challenged. They, they were beaten by Tottenham famously in the semi-final of the Champions League a few years ago. Just about all of those players have gone. They all go elsewhere. And if you're a selling club, as Brighton, I'm sure, will discover at some stage, it, it cannot carry on year after year after year after year. Gravenbach is ex-Ajax, Onana's ex-Ajax, De Ligt ex-Ajax. They all go elsewhere. And you can't keep reinventing with, without something happening. So um, uh, Bob, Bob was saying before that it's good that uh, there are so many uh, newish clubs or second-tier clubs make, making a statement. I'm just worried that the likes of Ajax are, are struggling so much because they can't compete with the top clubs. You wonder what's wrong there, though, don't you? I mean, uh, Holland is not a, you know, it's not a football wasteland. I mean, they've got, they've got a lot of fans there. Yeah. I mean, they've been top for a long time. And you'd think with the money they get from these players and with the success of their academy, you know, keep replacing them all the time, you'd think they'd be all right. So I don't know what's what's good. This must be something wrong behind the scenes that we don't know about. Yeah, it's I quite, know this... it comes as quite a shock to to see them in a mess like this. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, so we have to move on to UEFA Europa League Group A. Um, West Ham's 17 match unbeaten streak in European competition ended by Olympiakos. Um, it's a back to back defeat after the trashing against Aston Villa last weekend. Um, a bad week in the office for Moyes. Uh, yeah, well, but West Ham are still top of that little group, and they're still uh, possibly overachieving in the Premier League. Um, the 4-1 looks bad on paper. 4-1s always look bad on paper, of course they do. But it, it, um, they're, they're still competing. 
I think if anyone had West Ham in the, in the top, uh, what are they, the top eight or nine of the Premier League and top of the standings, people say, oh, wow, that's uh, Moyes overachieving. And then you turn it around immediately, Hanif, and say, bad week at the office, should they get rid of David Moyes once again? Uh, he's doing he's doing fine. West Ham are, are doing fine. They're doing well in Europe. It's a good group. Freiburg, Olympiakos, decent teams. And to go to Greece and to go to that febrile atmosphere, m- many better teams will lose in Olympiakos than, than West Ham. I wouldn't be too worried. All right. Speaking of another team that's actually doing really, really well, it's Aston Villa. They won 4-1 against AZ Akuma in the Europa Conference League. Um, another four-goal win for Aston Villa, um, this time against a Dutch side that was unbeaten in their opening nine games in the Eredivisie. Um, they're really in a good form, yeah, Bob? They are. Um, I mean, we expected this uh, before the start of the season. And then they got, um, they got hammered, didn't they, by, by Brighton, wasn't it? In the first game. Came Newcastle. as a bit of a shock. Newcastle, yeah. Newcastle. Newcastle, Newcastle, that's right. Um, yeah, five, I think. Conceded five, a real thrashing. And then we, we thought, oh, hang on, you know, were we exaggerating? But no, they've, um, they've played exactly as we expected. And uh, they're, in, they're in contention for, uh, for this and um, a top four place. I mean, you could ask the same question uh, as you did about uh, Brighton, uh, about Aston Villa. And I think the answer would be that Aston Villa are going to make a better fist of it. Uh, they are capable of winning the um, Europa League, I would say, uh, if Liverpool weren't in it. But uh, if if something happened to Liverpool and Villa found themselves still in the competition, they'd be they'd be fancy they'd be favourites. Um, but I think their priority is actually top four. They want to get into the Champions League, which they have won. Not everyone knows that, but Aston Villa have won the Champions League, or the European Cup, as it was called. Um, so they're they're a big club, um, and they've got a great manager and, and a very Eurocentric manager. I mean, he's won he's won four or five um, UEFA Cups. So uh, I think they're in a very good place, Aston Villa. And their players are on form. I mean, Watkins scored again. That's what how many goals and how many games. So they have the form and. Um, Again, I think, as mentioned by Bob, Unai Emery is so experienced in the Europa League. Uh, it wouldn't be a surprise to see, hopefully, Liverpool against Villa in the final in Dublin. Okay, all right. Let's move on to the Premier League and let's look forward to the game of the week. This weekend, uh, Man United against Man City. Uh, it's an 11.30pm kickoff. Uh, Man United uh, scraped through a 1-0 win against Copenhagen midweek with um, Harry Maguire and Andre Nana, the unlikely heroes in another unconvincing win unfortunately um, while City won 3-1 away against Young Boys uh, on an artificial pitch with Erling Haaland back scoring goals um, so <laughs> City to win this comfortably can I talk about something uh, non-football the Bobby Charlton tribute um, Hairs stood up on the back of my head when the Piper came out at the start of the game against Copenhagen uh, with Alex Stepney behind him and uh, Ten Hag and the, the youth team player behind him the Piper's playing, uh, Old Trafford is absolutely silent and paying tribute to uh, the gentleman of football, everyone who has ever met him. Um, and I was lucky to, to meet him um, a few years ago. We'll only talk good things about uh, Sir Bobby Charlton. It's been a really sad week with Bill Kenwright going and Sir Bobby Charlton. That was, that was a fabulous tribute. And his team, well, they, they kind of, kind of gave a reward. Um, the best reward that the team could possibly do, though, would be uh, to cause an upset against Man City. I don't see it happening, but I'm sure Sir Bobby will be looking down from his place up on high and uh, will be doing his best to give some spiritual guidance to his team. But no, I don't see it happening. Mm. That's right. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the cliche goes that in derby games, form goes out of the window, but United has really struggled. Though they've won, but they've won unconvincingly, as you said. I mean, they needed a penalty save with a, with an unlikely scorer in Harry Maguire scoring as well. I mean, the good news is at least Harry Maguire is performing decently. Uh, they haven't got a choice, really. I mean, Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire, I'm sure, is not Eric Ten Hag's first preferred partnership at the back. Uh, but they've, they've made do and they've kept clean sheets as well at the same time. But however, City is just too strong. I mean, with Erling Haaland scoring goals and again, it looks, oh. it appears if the City is on fire, on form. And uh, I don't see United getting anything from this game. Okay, let's um, move on and talk about the early Saturday 3am kickoff between Crystal Palace and Spurs. Uh, Crystal Palace had a torrid time against Newcastle uh, last weekend with their usually strong defence, um, surprisingly leaky. Uh, was that a one-off for a Hodgson team, considering that their defence tend to be pretty solid? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd rather talk about Tottenham in your notes. You mentioned uh, is, uh, is it is it first is it new manager bounce for Ange Postecoglou? Sorry, I'm gonna ch- change your script there. But for Postecoglou, he's uh, he's an overnight success. Twenty seven years into his career, he is um, he, he's he's done good things at Tottenham. I still think they've had a, a wee bit of luck in that uh, the victories over Sheffield United and Liverpool so late as they were uh, gave them points that perhaps they didn't deserve. But since then, they've gone on. The get the performance against Fulham was very good. And Crystal Palace are like a Fulham. There will be the odd defeat in, in there once in a while because they can be torn apart, but they, they won't be in trouble at the end of the year because they are solid enough not to fall apart too often. Uh, and I can see um, Tottenham uh, dealing with Crystal Palace as they did with Fulham in midweek. It was a, a comfortable win, even though they weren't at the best. And I think Tottenham are going to get better and better. And Crystal Palace are going to be mid-table mediocrity. I think it's 12th place for the last three seasons. They're current, currently 11th. It's great for their um, balance sheet because they keep getting the money. They keep getting the prize money. They're not going to threaten the top clubs. They're not going to be relegated. Ah, gosh, it's 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 frustrating. But um, are, Tottenham, are Tottenham the real deal? Yeah, they're challenging. They're challenging. I think they'll fall away at some stage. Uh, but they are challenging at the moment, definitely. All right, very quickly. Another match that we should look forward to is Chelsea against Brentford. Um, Chelsea performed well against Arsenal last weekend um, despite not getting the result. How is Pochettino doing? Is he beginning to get things right at Chelsea? Uh, Yes, I I think he is. The signs are positive. Uh, They've had one or two embarrassing uh, moments, but uh, they are inching their way up the table. Um, By the way, it was Pochettino who put the, um, the guy we were talking about earlier... Um, the 17-year-old uh, PSG guy, uh, he, he basically discovered him. Uh, he, he had him training with the, uh, with the first team. So they, another example of Pochettino's ability with youngsters, and he's got a lot of youngsters at Chelsea, and uh, he's, I think he's uh, handling them pretty well. Um, they, they could yet make a, a late run. Well, not that late. We're not even a quarter of the way through the season, are we? But make a bit of a storming run uh, for a top four place. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't rule it out, Mm -hmm. Um, especially if they get their striker back uh, and Kunku. And uh, definitely Chelsea uh, uh, are moving up. And Brentford, uh, although they got a good win last week, they are not looking quite the same this season. Uh, I wouldn't say they're relegation material, but uh, they are missing Ivan Tony. There's no question about that. And they, I think they're sort of waiting to the January transfer window, trying to sell him for 60 or 70 million. They'll probably have about three replacements lined up. 
that they've already researched on in their data bank and uh, you'll be seeing you know some new new big names coming up so brentford i don't think they're going to really trouble chelsea this weekend but i don't think they're going to i don't think they'll go down either all right let's take a short break uh, we'll be back with more after this this is just for kicks on bfm 89.9 more football when we come back just for kicks bfm 89.9 just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're tuned into Just for Kicks with me, Hanif Baharudin, and our pundits, Bob, Des, and Asran. Um, let's move on to the next match that we're going to preview, and it's Arsenal against Sheffield United. Arsenal survived a scare last weekend and did well um, away against Sevilla midweek. Um, this should be an easy win against a struggling Sheffield United side. Uh, Asran? Yeah, again, on paper, Arsenal has done very, very well, obviously. Getting the draw against Chelsea last week was a really hard-fought draw. And having a good result midweek against Sevilla. Uh, against Sheffield United, who I think was a bit unlucky to lose. But it was a crack of a goal uh, that won it for United. They're last nevertheless. Again, they're conceding too many goals. So with this, I see that Arsenal should, be, should have too much firepower for Sheffield United to resist. So again, the good thing about Arsenal is they've got decent fixtures in front of them. And especially uh, playing against the last place team, uh, they would expect nothing but three points. Mm. Um, Des, I would like to get your thoughts on this whole David Raya and Aaron Ramsdale thing. Um, what, what what are your thoughts on it? Um, I mean, Arteta did say that he's gonna that he has two number one goalkeepers and he's planning to rotate them both. But I think based on um, what he has he has been doing so far, it seems that Raya is his first choice keeper, right? Regardless of what he said. Yeah, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, and I, I, I said then he, he selected Raya as number as his number one keeper. Since then, David Raya has made a couple of mistakes, not major mistakes, but uh, David Raya has made one or two mistakes that might mean that he's not the number one. But I just think he's a generally a safer goalkeeper, like Ramsdale. I think he's a spectacular athlete. He makes incredible saves, but I think David Raya comes for the catchers that um, Ramsdale would stay on his line for and make a wonderful save from the header. But David Raya stops the header coming in. So I do think Mikel Arteta has decided that David Raya is his number one. But Raya's got to prove it by not making mistakes. That's, that's, that's an interesting one. But if Raya does go off form, well, Ramsdale's not a bad backup, is he? Yeah, but so far he hasn't been dropping him though, despite Raya's... No, he's, he's not been dropping him because he's his number, his number one. And a goalkeeper uh, needs a confidence of, uh, of, of uh, a manager. Uh, you've got to be able to make a mistake or two. That's why I thought um, David De Gea at Manchester United was always so badly treated because the number of times he was sensational for Man United and then he makes a missed kick or doesn't find his man from 40 yards and now they get rid of him and uh, Onana comes in to replace him. I, I just think uh, you need a safe goalkeeper, one who will make the saves come for the crosses. That's the first job of, of a goalkeeper. I think Raya does that better uh, than Ramsdale at Arsenal. And I certainly think De Gea does it better than that Onana at Manchester United. All right. Let's move on to um, an early Sunday kickoff, 12.30 a.m. between Wolves and Newcastle. Uh, Wolves and Gary O'Neill especially uh, got a good win against Bournemouth last weekend. Can they continue that momentum against uh, Newcastle, who themselves are looking to bounce back after their midweek defeat against Dortmund, Bob? Uh, Wolves, uh, yeah. The uh, Gary O'Neill derby was a, a big win for Gary O'Neill, wasn't it? Yep. Um, in his current <laughs> current capacity. Uh, and and they'll fancy this, especially uh, if they saw Newcastle's performance in midweek and with the injuries and, and the ban and everything else. Uh, it will be a somewhat wounded uh, Newcastle 
that go to wolves and are hungry wolves. Um, you can see an upset here, if you call that an upset. Uh, wolves will fancy this. They, they definitely will. They're quite a good footballing side. And um, Newcastle, well, uh, we'll, see, we'll see what they're made of. They're, this will come as a shock, this result in midweek. Um, so I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if Wolves uh, edge this one. Yeah, Ooh. and Newcastle have been racking up injuries, uh, like we've been talking about uh, previously. Um, do you think that this has this has potential to perhaps derail their season, Asran? Yeah, well, um, it's again, it's early days. We know that uh, whether it will derail a season or not, I think it's a bit too early to say that. Uh, but they're in trouble, no doubt about it. Again, uh, we spoke when we spoke about Newcastle just now, uh, losing to Nali, which was, who was quite a significant investment. Uh, which gets me actually wondering, did AC Milan know, knew about the troubles before selling? But well, that's a t- another for another discussion altogether. But yeah, uh, losing some key players now, it's not ideal for Newcastle. However, up until midweek, they've done pretty well in the, in, in the league. So uh, it will be a test of their metal against Wolves. Um, and we'll see whether they'll be able to overcome it. Uh, I, I do have a feeling that they will. Uh, they've got enough still in the bank to get a result against Wolves, which has been very unpredictable this season, losing huge one day to uh, winning against City the next. Mm. Up next, um, West Ham against Everton, a 9pm kickoff on Sunday. Um, yeah, um, Des, you spoke about um, Bill Kenwright just now, uh, but apart from that, which is a sad news, um, there's also reports that have emerged that the Premier League has recommended that Everton be deducted 12 points uh, for breaching profit and sustainability rules. Can you tell us a bit more about this? Uh, well, the investigation is ongoing and Premier League uh, are saying that uh, they want they want uh, an up to a 12-point um, ban or not ban, uh, point, deduction. Redu- uh, point, point, deduction. Deduction. point deduction should Everton be found guilty. Everton are obviously uh, arguing that they, they didn't break any financial fair play rules, but... Um, in the day, I'd, you know, I'd, I've got to go back to the Ken Wright, uh, Ken Wright thing. They announced this. The Premier League announced this the day after Ken Wright's died. And, okay, so business is one thing and emotion is another. But to do that is, you know what, so insensitive. So just, I couldn't give a damn about your football club. I couldn't give a damn about what you're thinking. We've known that something like this is brewing over, um, over well, since the start of the season, since before the start of the season. But for them, for that news to break on the day after Bill Kenwright died, it's just, it, it wouldn't happen with Manchester United. It wouldn't happen uh, with, with the, the, the top echelon clubs. Not, not even Manchester the City does. But, I mean, they've oh, been oh, charged ab- with ab- Absolutely. So mm-hmm. there's the insensitivity. There's the fact that, yeah, the Manchester City thing has gone very quiet. They've got 115 charges against them. And yet something comes out against Everton. Something just doesn't sit right there. So that well, on, but on Des, don't you on. think they might have been holding back for Bill Kenwright? No, but like, you don't announce not... the day after, Bob. Well, that I, is okay, just... but it would have been, they probably felt they, they couldn't hold on any longer because this, is, this had come out in the press already. And they didn't want, they didn't want to make the announcement while he was uh, in the state he was in. I mean, there is that possibility. I don't think you can dismiss that outright. And the reason I think people ought to know why are we making such a big fuss of Bill Kenwright? Well, because he, he deserves a great fuss made of him. He was an actor and he was an impresario. He made his name. He was, a, he was an international name as an actor and impresario in the theatre before he took to football. 
an actor with a Shakespearean tragedy. He was banned from the ground, well, warned not to go by the police. And this is a guy whose famous quote was, I don't just love Everton, it's who I am. Yeah. That was uh, Bill Kenwright. It's true. But, but having said that, what I don't like is the hypocrisy of things. I think Man City has had, what, 115 charges looming over them, yet we don't hear as much from the league, probably yeah. because they're still doing well in the European competitions and whatnot. And yet a club that is, I mean, kicking a guy when he's down, I think that's what sums it, sums what's happened over the past week for Everton. I agree with that. I, I was going to mention Man City as well. I was. You, you beat me to the punch there. That, that, so, yeah. so, I'm, something I'm is trying wrong with to this. know what they're going yeah. to do with Man City, as everybody yeah. else is. Yeah. Will this possibly happen this season? If, if, if it were to happen, this point deduction? For Everton, yes. Yeah, that, that's the problem. Um, and that would automatically send them down if, if the financial fair players, uh, they're judged to have uh, broken the rules. And this, I, again, I, I, it is difficult. But Chelsea have spent a billion pounds on players in the last uh, X, X number of... How can that not be breaking financial fair play? I just don't get it. Newcastle United suddenly have this sponsorship with uh, Saudi Arabian Airlines. Gosh, that's great marketing. Uh, I wonder if there's a connection there between them and, uh, and their main sponsors. Uh, these financial fair play rules, I, I, it's good that they are there, but they are so... Ah, it's so easy difficult. to bend, And so difficult to police. I have sympathy with the Football Association here. That's why when they come down hard on somebody like Everton, uh, it, 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 it just, they wouldn't do it to Man United. They wouldn't do it to Man City. They would, probably wouldn't do it to Liverpool. All right. Going back to matters on the pitch, can they get something against uh, West Ham? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, there's been too much bad news. They'll fight and they'll scrap and Sean Dyche will make them difficult. But no, West Ham to take this one. All right, let's move on to the next match. Uh, 10 p.m. kickoff on Sunday, uh, Liverpool against Nottingham Forest. Bob, will you be watching this behind your sofa again? Uh, oh, dear. Um, well, I, I was pleased that Liverpool got five um, last night because I, I just hope they've used up their goals for the week um, when they play Forest. Uh, Forest haven't won for five games, uh, not in a good uh, spell, uh, got a lot of injuries. Um, this is looking like an absolute banker for Liverpool. Um, it, it pains me to say. I thought last season, uh, Forrest, Forrest put up a pretty good fight, actually, at Anfield, almost nicked a draw. I remember the long throw-ins of Nia Kate, which seemed to trouble Liverpool a lot, and even Jurgen Klopp admitted that. Forrest almost, almost snatched an unlikely point, this season, I think it's going to be even more unlikely. Uh, so this is an absolute home banker. Ashran, you yeah, I get it. It was actually this time around last year where Forrest had got an exceptional result against Liverpool at their ground. Uh, it was also the same day that KL lost the final in the AFC Cup. I remember that very clearly. It was uh, sometime in the 29th of October, some, some, sometime like that. So, but this time around, I don't, again... Uh, I don't want to be too boastful about it. So I'd rather be quietly confident, but confident nevertheless. I think what we've seen on Liverpool is quite a nice revolution. They're picking form right on time. They've got their players coming back from injury, bar one or two. Uh, so uh, I would expect to see Liverpool continuing with their current vein of form, which is to continue playing good football, scoring a couple of goals in the process, whilst mending the defensive frailties that has hindered or hampered their progress at the start of the season. Eh? But 
so far, good things happening uh, at Anfield. Uh, I see it continuing this weekend as well. Another 10pm kickoff on Sunday is Aston Villa against Luton Town. Aston Villa has a good home record. Um, and I want to talk a bit more about um, Unai Emery. Uh, what's the secret to his success uh, with Aston Villa so far? Was it down to, I guess, shoot signings? Sophisticated tactics or perhaps his man management um, skills, um, getting the best out of players like Oli Watkins does? Uh, he's, he's a good manager. I remember a couple of years ago, um, Villa made some good signings. Uh, Steven Gerrard was in charge and we all said, I certainly said, hey, Villa, top six, This uh, they have got good players there. And they didn't. They fell away. And uh, Gogs, uh, Goglin, one of our guests normally here, was famously dismissive of Steven Gerrard. How dare he? How dare he? But anyway, Unai Emery has come in. He's added a couple of players, but they're a completely different team because I think the players know exactly what is expected of them where they're meant to be at such and such a time. He plays the players' strengths. He plays the Ollie Watkins' strengths. He, he, he doesn't get him running the channels all the time. He gets him attacking the near post. He gets the crosses coming in from there. In the centre midfield, he doesn't expect his centre midfielders to be scoring 15, 20 goals, but he expects them to be up there providing the ball out wide to the wingers. Uh, he, he, his players know exactly what is demanded of them. Plus, um, he's, he, I think defensively, he's very astute. They're just that little bit tighter defensively, apart from that opening day uh, um, mauling against um, uh, Newcastle. Uh, and he just makes good players better. He makes a, a, a team better than the sum of its parts. And uh, that's the, the skill of a, a real coach. And he's done it not only at Villa, he did it at Sevilla. Maybe Arsenal was too big a club for him to do it, but or, or maybe they wanted things to happen too quickly or the expectations were too high. But I've ever thought ever since he went to Aston Villa, he is a perfect fit for that uh, football club um, because they are a, a team that aren't too demanding and but he will make them competitive. That's the big thing that Unai Emery does. Yeah. Aston Villa is fifth currently. Will they be able to actually get a European spot come the end of the season? Bob? Uh, I think they've got a chance. Uh, definitely, yeah. Because uh, we, uh, I mean, we were, as we've said earlier, we're not that far into the season. Um, a lot can A lot can happen yet. And they're up there knocking on the door, and I think uh, I think they've got a, a good squad and a fairly deep squad, actually. Um, and yeah. and they've got that, and the manager has that European pedigree. So I'd say that they are in with a shout of uh, of top. Well, it may be top five this season. Uh, coming fifth may be enough if the other uh, EPL clubs do well in Europe, because it's it's going to be different next season. And there could be five places available, so I, I'd say Villa have got a got a fighting chance, definitely. Okay, we're gonna go for our final break. This is just for kicks on BFM eighty nine point nine. More football when we come back. Just for kicks, BFM eighty nine point nine. Just for kicks on BFM eighty nine point nine. And we're back um, just for kicks on BFM eighty nine point nine with me Hanif Baharudin and our pundits Bob Holmes, Descott Hill, and Ashran Rosin. Final preview of Premier League. Um, Brighton against Fulham. Um, we've spoken about Brighton earlier in the show. The thing about Brighton is that they don't have trouble scoring, um, but they have been conceding a lot of goals as well this season. Um, what's that down to, Asran? So they haven't had a settled backline at this point of time, right? Because they keep on rotating the keepers. I suppose with the additional burden that uh, Europe has brought to them, uh, Deserby keeps on rotating his keepers. So there's no clear number one. And like Arsenal, who as we spoke just now, they pronounced Raya as their main keeper. They keep on swapping the keepers at Brighton. Plus the fact that a couple of key players has been injured. Purvis Estupinian, 
for example, he is like the revelation of of a pullback for Brighton. Unfortunately, he's been hit uh, by a long, slightly longer term injury this time around. So they had James Milner, uh, the ever reliable James Milner, filling in at midweek against Ajax. So the problem with them is, as you mentioned, um, Hanif, is the fact that they haven't had a settled backline. But nevertheless, are we calling them struggling? A team that's first time competing in Europe, winning against a giant at Ajax at that, uh, doing well in the group and in, in the Europa League. Plus, they're seventh. They're not they're not in, in the relegation spot in the Premier League. So I think they've done pretty fair. Uh, for me, De Zerbi has done a fantastic job in ensuring that the team continues to play in the same vein of form that they've done last year. Uh, so against Fulham, who has been hot and cold this season, I see Brighton continuing uh, their, what, what they've won uh, in midweek, continuing to win, uh, especially playing at home uh, over the weekend as well. But Fulham did the double against uh, Brighton last season. Um, is there a potential of that happening again this season, Bob? Fulham did the double over Brighton. Yeah, uh, I didn't realise that. But yeah. Um, well, I, I suppose there is. Um, given that uh, Brighton um, played last night, um, and we've said before that they're not accustomed to uh, to this uh, sun, uh, Thursday Sunday um, shift. Um, so, and they haven't got such a, such a deep squad, but, um, it'll be interesting to see who they do play. They'll probably produce somebody from Ecuador that we've never heard of. That's a new, uh, the, the latest sensation because they seem to have a, a production line or at least, uh, an assembly line, uh, for when uh, spotting these guys and then, uh, turning them into, into decent players. So, uh. Yeah, this will be a good uh, good test for them. It, it won't be the toughest test they could have had on a on a Sunday, but because um, Fulham are kind of going knowing nowhere really, are they? Um, so I, I would expect Brighton to be able to handle this. Actually, I I, I think Brighton are they've got a great manager there, Deserby. Okay, all right. Um, from England, let's head for a quick trip to Spain. Um, there's a big match happening there, uh, El Clasico. It's going to be on a, on a Saturday, which I think is pretty strange. Uh, it's Barcelona against Real Madrid. Very quickly, Jens, uh, who's going to win this one? Um, Des? Well, uh, oh gosh, <laughs> million-dollar question. Is it Real Madrid are in fine form, one defeat already? But Barcelona unbeaten and uh, a little bit miserly defensively um, recently. They, they're not scoring freely, but they're getting enough. Remember where at the start of last year, we were wondering whether or not um, Barcelona would be in free fall. Well, clearly the answer is not. Xavi's done a good job. Um, they're eking out wins at the moment. They've had a couple of iffy draws, but they're eking out wins in league. They're one point off top spot. I can see this one being a stalemate, you know. Uh, it won't be a, a goalless stalemate, but I, I can see uh, such pride at stake. Barcelona getting a result. Real Madrid have had Bellingham and in top form. He's making all the news. He's making all the stars. Um, there was a, another sl- slightly um, a, a racist uh, situation for Vinicius uh, last week as well. But these are two good footballing clubs. I can see this one being a draw. And uh, this obviously Real Madrid-Barcelona battle going right the way down to the end of the season. Asran, do you think that Real Madrid is over-relying on Bellingham? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say over-relying, but he's performed admirably so far. I, I, one good thing about the La Liga this year is that, you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid, they're performing as expected. And Atletico Madrid on their de- on their heels, but there's another team that's performed really well, which is Girona. Let's not forget about Girona this season. Obviously, Girona lost to Real Madrid. That's what that's why they're second at this point of time. But 
Again, the race, hopefully we'll see it until the end of the season. Probably Girona will fall back somehow, but at least the three big clubs continue to perform. But as Des mentioned, the thing about Barcelona is they're not really scoring freely. Again, Lewandowski is currently injured, so we don't know whether he'll be fit enough to play. But they've got a bunch of youngsters, really exciting youngsters, that comes up, pops up with a goal. Lamin Yamal, Fermin Lopez. I mean, Ferran Torres, whenever he comes in, he scores. So, again, Barcelona I have not having issues up front. Again, defensively, they haven't got a settled centre-back partnership at this point of time. That's, that's the problem with them. But it's going to be an exciting game. As much as I understand where that's coming from with, uh, with a score draw for, for the, for between the, the, the two giants, I would like to see Barcelona winning. Uh, and uh, let's see how Real Madrid comes from there. But a score draw is a huge possibility, especially with the fact that Barcelona has drawn quite a bit of games. I think they've drawn three. They've, they're unbeaten, but they've drawn three against teams that they're supposed to beat. The fact that they're not playing at the new Comp as well, I, I think it will impact just a little bit because the new Comp is magical. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. One drink is not the same. It's, it's it's a standard stadium. It's not a magical stadium like the Nukam. I, I agree with you that that there's all right from Spain. Let's head back to Malaysia and it's the return of the Super League, uh, match day twenty-three. Uh Des, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, it's it's very strange. The Super League has got a real stop start ending to it. There's a there's a odd game here and there. Um there's a round of twenty-three, as you say, it's uh, twenty-six in the season. Uh, the title is done and dusted. Uh, second place is still up for grabs. Um, there's a game going on just down the road as we speak, PDRM versus KL City now. Obviously, Johor, and they've got um, their eyes on bigger uh, things. They wanted to do well in the FC Champions League, but they're off the back of a 3-1 defeat in Ulsan. And it was very, very un-Johor-like. They conceded three early goals. Normally, they dominate matches. They were goal down inside five minutes two down inside 13 and they couldn't recover against Ulsan. And that is a, a really big blow because it means they've lost two matches now. They play Ulsan in the um, AFC Champions League in a couple of weeks' time at uh, Sultan Ibrahim Stadium in Iskandar. Um, and they must win that now. Otherwise, all of the success they've had uh, winning the FA Cup, winning the league so easily, it kind of gets dissipated. Yes, they're, they'll make the Malaysia Cup final as well. They've got their second leg against Perak. But the Johor season, I think, depends upon doing well in the AFC Champions League. And there's a danger after those two defeats that they they could go out. Back, back to your league question. The battle for second place is, is uh, really what it's all about because this is still a possibility. I still don't know whether or not the Malaysia Cup winner gets a place in the AFC competitions next year or second place in the league. I, I still don't know. I haven't um, haven't asked the question directly, but it's not obvious. So Langor are in control of that race for second place. Uh, they are, what are they, five points clear of Kedah, although Kedah have got a game in hand. Kedah play Negri Sembalan um, this weekend, and uh, Salango have got no game because that's the uh, the game in hand for Negri Sembalan. So it, it's all a little bit stop-start at the, at the Super League. Um, uh, the, the the Malaysia Cup is mixed in with the league, which is mixed in with the international games, mixed in with the AFC Champions League. It's difficult to keep a real eye on what's going on. And with Johor having won the league, uh, difficult even for some a fan like me to keep truly focused on it, I'm afraid. Yeah. I mean, now we're just looking forward to the Malaysia Cup, second league of the semifinals, isn't it? There's, because the league yeah. is really gone. Five games to go and again, there's nothing more, but it's just running through the motion more than anything else. So we can look forward to the Malaysia Cup semis. Hopefully, between Terganu or KL or Perak can overcome JDT somehow. But the Malaysian games are coming quick and fast and that's something to really look forward to. 
And that, but the league still is important because there's money. Uh, the, the higher up the league you get, the more money you get. And uh, the, the the clubs are really, really tight on their finance. There's one or two reports sneaking out into, into the into the press that uh, clubs aren't paying their players again. Six uh, clubs, man. Six clubs. So that's the thing with me. If you Even if you end up second, third or fourth, will the club actually pay the money to the players and who matters? That's something that's still a million-dollar question to me. That's right. <laughs> more than a million dollars. All right. And on that note, thank you so much, um, everyone. Um, that wraps up the show for today. Um, remains me to thank um, Bob Holmes. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the football this weekend. That's Scott Hill. Yeah, so Bobby Charlton and Bill Kenwright uh, are, are still in my mind uh, this week, but Boris Liverpool as well, Bob. Uh, <laughs> it's in my mind too, Des. <laughs> and Ashran Rosin. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back. Looking forward to Liverpool continuing to play well. All right, thank you so much. This has been Just for Kicks. Uh, join us again next week on BFM 89.9. For more football, tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8pm. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.